You're listening to Trending with Timory, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. National speaker Timory Millington has been a passionate advocate for life as long as she can remember, helping Gen X through Z answer the call to true feminism and authentic manhood. Timory holds a master's degree in biblical theology, and she covers this week's hottest stories from a Catholic worldview. You're listening to Trending with Timory. We're in studio here laughing because as we get started, if you don't know, we're also live on Facebook and YouTube and Instagram and Michael's dancing along to the theme music and he sees himself dancing here on the Facebook live video. That's one of those moments because Michael Gasparro is here. He's an associate uh, marriage and family therapist, also a youth minister doing great work at the Breakthrough Clinic. But you have a background in theater and you know <laughs> on camera a small movement looks much larger. <laughs> yep, yep, I grew up singing and doing theater and all kinds of things in the arts. So I enjoy dancing along dear theme music. <laughs> but it's a much bigger movement in the video. So yep. <laughs> giggling at ourselves here. There are moments too where you like, you're talking because you're used to being expressive and you whack your mic and it goes twirling around. <laughs> yeah, I'm Italian, so I use my hands a lot to gesticulate. <laughs> so today we have a lot going on. I love having Michael on because he has incredible insights with his background in being a marriage and family therapist, also a youth minister. He has a very nuanced and well-formed perspective on these issues. So we're going to dive into some of what's going on with the sex, sexual education. And you have to remember, he He's also coming from the perspective of working with a lot of people with same-sex attraction and also having experienced yourself in the past same-sex attraction, which, by the way, if you haven't heard of his testimony and story, you can find it on Trending. Just go to the guest page and pull up Michael Gasparo where you can listen to episodes where he's joined us here. However, many of you have probably been waiting. Why hasn't Timory talked about Dr. Leanna Wen, her being fired from Planned Parenthood? Have you been following this, Michael? I have. I mean, at a slightly less in-depth level, perhaps, than you, but I have followed it, especially in the Catholic Instagram and Twitter world. Right. Now, before we go too far into this, for those who don't know, it was less than nine months ago that Dr. Leanna Wen was brought in as the new president of Planned Parenthood. I, the moment I saw this, it made me nervous. And here's why. She's a medical doctor. And from her very first video before she officially took it, was acting in the role, she said, abortion is health care. And she kept coming back to this really basic argument that most people culturally really do live with. There's got to be access to this basic health care. Women's rights, reproductive health care, the two go hand in hand. Well, for that exact reason, she was fired just a few weeks ago in a secret meeting by some of the new board members and existing board members at Planned Parenthood. I heard about this as well, and it's very unsurprising that Planned Parenthood would operate in this way, but concerning nonetheless, because nobody likes to know that people have gone behind their back and secretly fired them, whether or not we agree with their position or their organization, but it's indicative of the type of organization that Planned Parenthood is. And I will actually say, she's got a lot of my respect, because how she handled that publicly was very graceful and very, very respectful of the organization and all of the staff that she had been leaving. Essentially, she starts in a tweet kind of saying, you know, I've been fired through a secret meeting. I just found out about um, over philosophical differences that we had been working on. But essentially, this meeting took place behind my back, not defaming them or anything, but just stating the facts. Since then, she's released
release letters to all the Planned Parenthood staff, an open letter, I think, in the New York Times. Dive more into this. But before we talk about why she left, she actually suffered a miscarriage right around Fourth of July weekend. Did you hear about that? I did hear about it. Yep. This is what's so atrocious to me. I think that we have responsibility as, you know, any just basic human being to respect when someone's going through a serious Mm -hmm. trauma in their life. And I think it's within two weeks of having gone through that miscarriage and having publicly shared about it. They then abort her contract without any respect for the person and what she's experiencing. And I think Abby Johnson said it best when she said, let's be the people we say we are and how we treat her publicly and our discourse on this matter, because we are called to be loving above all things. And so using her misfortune or her unfortunate uh, circumstances at home or in the professional realm as fodder for our own jokes or our way of taunting her position, uh, I think that's not only uncharitable, but it hurts our cause in the long run. Oh, I am completely with you. And I think that we have to be respectful, but also, you know, I think there's some honesty some people have, you know, I think it's rude. Some people are like, well, wow, she had a miscarriage after, you know, the type of work she's doing. That's not cool. <laughs> you know, it's not respectful. And I think it's just as bad as what Planned Parenthood has done is not, and not respecting the person. They could have kept her on for an extra month, hired someone else alongside her and gracefully allowed her to go through that transition that she already knew she was going through. Right. And I'm not surprised by their behavior here. Oh, okay. So here's what I'm thinking, Michael. She shared publicly that she had a miscarriage, therefore humanizing the unborn child. And she even stated that she thought it would be good for people to see that even someone such as the head of Planned Parenthood, they support women having their children when they choose, but they also support the right of women choosing not to. And so she wanted to show we're actually Planned Parenthood. I think she had a perspective that a lot of their employees have in thinking that they really are doing good work to help women and families. And I think we both know as Catholics that good intentions do not always equal good actions. So I think her intention was perhaps less nefarious than the underlying motivations of Planned Parenthood because she wanted to promote an authentic commitment to the ability to have children. But one, I think it could be argued that Planned Parenthood hardly supports women in having children through their various actions, which we don't need to go into all the depth of that right now. But two, um, even with the best of intentions, she's still highlighting that there is a good option in terminating your life of your unborn child. And and that's obviously concerning to us as well. So essentially, she's actually hitting on this entire debate of it's either wanted or unwanted. And if it's wanted, great. And you can actually mourn your miscarriage. If it's unwanted, a miscarriage would actually be a convenience and abortion would be the other way to get rid of a child. Yeah, this is confounding. My head is swimming while we're talking about it a little bit because it's so uh, cognitively dissonant for me to try to make sense of that position. You know, sometimes I have to forget. I'm so used to talking about abortion and such like kind of having to be somewhat detached because it's such an intense issue and looking at it day in and day out. You know, my mom always says if you don't kind of separate and compartmentalize a little bit, it'll drive you crazy Mm -hmm. because this is the bloody death of a child and the destruction of the soul of a woman and anyone who are complicit in that decision. 
it's very serious and it's something that is highly normalized and the conversation around it is so neutered basically if they take away any of like what you just said the graphic language you use but it's actually clear and descriptive of what's happening so we have to face the reality of what abortion is in order to come to terms with the impact it has on the lives of the people involved. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting because I just did an episode with Jubilee Media. They have a show released on YouTube called Middle Ground. It's got last I saw almost 500,000 views just since it was released this last week. And one of the big things that I end up debating some of the pro-abortion people on is I end up pushing back and saying, so you're essentially determining whether or not a children, child is unwanted or wanted based on circumstances. And basically those who are wealthy should be able to have children, those who aren't, you know, and if you don't have means, quality of life is what determines whether or not a person should live or die. And people actually live by that quality of life determines whether or not someone should be aborted and wanted or unwanted. And yet often if you turn the table on that conversation and say, should somebody have applied that rule to you before you were born, very few people would probably advocate that they wish somebody would have taken away their right to life. So um, I think that this hypothetical argument stands up for a lot of these abortion advocates when they're applying it to other people's right to life. And this is particularly important when we're talking to young people about this issue. I know I work at a church with young people uh, regularly and they have a concern about that quality of life as well. I remember some of them voicing concerns to some of our culture project missionaries that came to speak to them about the issue of abortion. And they were saying, well, what if the child has to grow up in foster care? And what if they have a bad life, just like you're, you're mentioning? And they do so out of genuine care. So their motives are good. They want people to avoid suffering. But what we know as Catholics is it's not our right. We are not the creator. It is not our right to strip someone else of the right to life simply because we do not see the plan God has for their life. Absolutely. And I think that this is where so much of the abortion debate, you're going to hear challenging circumstances, but we can still respond. I hope you guys will go and check out. I've tweeted it, put it up on social media, the video from Jubilee Media. It provides a great conversation having to do with abortion, some of the arguments. We record like three hours worth of content. They boiled it down to like 18 minutes, but it helps you to see where other people's mindset is and conversing on this issue. That's Michael Gasparro. He's a marriage and family therapist. You're listening to Trending with Timory. So Dr. Leanna Wen left Planned Parenthood. She says philosophical differences are essentially why the board let go of her. She talks about how she was trying to depoliticize Planned Parenthood. She was trying to focus on health care expansion. In fact, she wanted women to be able to come in, receive the screening they wanted, and at the same time allow for vaccinations of children. Planned Parenthood wasn't okay with this. You know, we know that over 50% of their income that is not, or revenue that isn't from the government actually comes from abortion. Mm. They're in the abortion business and they're focusing on politics. And so when she was trying to expand, say, mental health options for women with postpartum, among other issues, addiction resources, she was trying to focus again on immunization as well. She wanted really comprehensive health care for women and their children. She got the kibosh. (laughs) That's not surprising because while Planned Parenthood likes to quote the 3% statistic, that abortion is 3% of what they do, as you mentioned, it has very, very different statistics about the percent of revenue it supplies for them. Right. And you can check out by live action. They have a great video breaking down that 3% myth because when they cover things, they'll be like, okay, we gave you, you know, multiple sets of contraception. We gave you an abortion. We gave you an ultrasound before the abortion. And they break all of those up into separate services when in reality, maybe the main thing the woman came in for was 
abortion. And the main thing that supplied them the the predominant amount of the revenue they took from that ser- that service or series of services. Exactly. So one of the things that was interesting in why Dr. Leanna Wen left is there was actually a number of insider feedback from Planned Parenthood that uh, where there were interviews conducted and BuzzFeed ended up releasing some information about some of the keen insights behind the scenes. One of the things they tried to say that Dr. Leanna Wen was high maintenance on one blog I saw, but BuzzFeed was saying that Dr. Leanna Wen actually was not conforming to some of this gender ideology language and that she would not refer to pregnant women as pregnant persons. Interesting. I did not hear that aspect, but it does not surprise me because the language of the LGBTQIA plus community is to try to delegitimize any term that acknowledges male or female reproduction issues altogether. So the fact that you're saying this was a conflict for them does not surprise me, but the fact that she's a medical doctor emphasizes to me why she probably had an issue with this because she is trained in biological reality more than in political ideology. Exactly. And as Planned Parenthood is amping up their political side of the gender issue, which they have been for years, I mean, look at feminism and the waves of feminism, third wave feminism wants to say there's no difference between men and women. And so therefore, Planned Parenthood has really pushed forward that agenda in the culture. Yeah, that's concerning, obviously, to all of us as uh, people of goodwill can be concerned as well, but as Catholics especially. So in fact, the person they ended up hiring after Dr. Leanna Wen is Alexis McGill Johnson. And Alexis has a past in having been a part of the board of Planned Parenthood, but she's huge, essentially, advocate activist and is big on the gender ideology issue as well. And she's a political activist coming in. And so what's interesting is to continue to look at the content from Planned Parenthood parenthood as she's taking over and in fact what's one of the first things that we see in their tbh which is to be honest newsletter Mm -hmm. is they talk about pregnant people and quote and i'm quoting quoting it literally no longer pregnant women pregnant people and that's partly because they believe that somebody who identifies as a transgendered man who still has a fully functioning female reproductive system can be pregnant. And so then they're sort of de- delinking any terminology from woman or man to the pregnancy itself, which we, we know is just absurd. And I, I'm really glad that the Vatican has started to release more information on the Catholic perspective on this. I think you've probably covered this some already, but there was a fantastic document from the Congregation of, for the Doctrine of Education excuse me, that was released about a month ago to start to address this truly ideological colonization happening about LGBTQIA identities and how that impacts us as Catholics and how we should challenge the culture on these serious lies. And they speak to how damaging it is for the individual person, for the family, and for the culture when essentially such a lie is being an injustice done on the human person today. And the people involved are logical human beings. We can have conversations. We don't have to be considered bigoted just because we're having the conversation, but we want to do it with love. Absolutely. A couple other things that stood out in the, to be honest, newsletter from Planned Parenthood. By the way, it's one of those moments where you feel, I feel a little old because I'm like, what does TPH mean? <laughs> I and Google I, acronyms <laughs> like that all the time. <laughs> I'll text my siblings, what does this mean again? They're like, you're so old. <laughs> like, I'm really not, but <laughs> just slow on some of these things. So one of the other campaigns that they've had since all of these very pro-life laws have been passed in some areas mm-hmm. and very radical abortion laws in the other is they have the bans off my body campaign and michael i was actually going to send the video to you before the show it's outright pornographic 
it's all of these. I didn't end up sending it to you because I opened up their video for the campaign. It's all naked women covering barely vital body parts saying, yeah, bands off my body. Let's not go back to what it used to be. Clothing? It, it used to be clothing, and it used to be the idea that the person inside of your womb had rights as well. So we really want to challenge the fact that the Planned Parenthood agenda, along with the abortion agenda around the country, is to dehumanize the unborn person. And and you know this, you know, I know we're preaching to the choir here to one another, but we want to empower people to humanize the child in the womb. And that is more important than trying to Imagine that we're stripping white rights away from adult women. We are enabling and protecting the rights of the unborn. And you think about it, you know, the irony is here's this video bans off my body campaign of these women totally naked. And I think, think about that baby and how vulnerable it is in its dependence, which it has a right to that dependence by being conceived, right? Like, Wow, isn't the comparison, the contrast so real in the the nakedness of the child, yet they're trying to say that's what women are put through in protecting the child's Mm. vulnerability. Wow. So I want to get into some of this sex ed element because also in all of Planned Parenthood's newsletters, they have things such as Ask Rue, which is where you a teenager can send text messages to Planned Parenthood asking really sexually provocative questions that they would never, and they even say this in their promotional videos, say out loud or ask a parent or an adult because it's so intensely provocatively sexual. Now, what we've learned is Planned Parenthood just continues to allow this just pervasive culture to move forward. And in fact, as they're moving into more and more of the school systems here in the state of California, it's going to further expand. I'd like to get some of your insights into what you're seeing also in the school systems right now. Yeah, we, it's 2016, January 1st, 2016, the California Healthy Youth Act was enacted and was officially began its reign in the California public education system. I understand, after discussing with you and others in the Catholic Medical Association, that there is further legislation and, and maybe a continuation of that legislation that's being implemented over time. Right. But the California Healthy Youth Act um, is easily accessible online. So we want to empower parents to access this information and understand what the schools have been given power to do, particularly with LGBTQIA sexual education and beyond. Right. And I mean, even just this last year, California, AB 329, the continued permissiveness through this we're seeing right now, every possible sex act, heterosexual or homosexual, is being taught to children. And this agenda goes from K through 12th grade. It's not limited to just high school sex ed. In fact, you were talking about a book that just, I mean, kids are being read. Sure. So I have a friend who's a social worker in Southern California, and she was being told that the second graders at her school where she works can be read a book about transgenderism without the consent of their parents. The only thing required by the California Healthy or California Healthy Youth Act is that Essentially, an opt-out form is sent home to families, so they don't have to opt in to participate. They have to opt out, and those forms are being sent home with second graders, which many of the times those flyers don't even get into the hands of parents. Mm -hmm. And so, essentially, she was informed by her school 
that the opt-in isn't even necessary. Consent is not required. I watched and read this book myself as an adult male. I'm 32 years old. Let it be known for the record. And I have a well-formed conscience. And that book was confusing and upsetting to me as an adult male, fully formed in my faith. So imagine the damage that could be done to a second grader, an impressionable, young, vulnerable child without the consent of their parents being read information that is no more than a belief system. Transgender ideology is not medically established. It is a belief system based on the idea that somebody might feel like they are born into the wrong body. It is no more scientifically, uh, methodically been proven than any other system of belief that might be varied from person to person or culture to culture. And it's absurd that this kind of information and material will be read without the consent of parents to people as young as second grade or younger. Did you see the video of the young girl, Michael? in the UK, 10 years old, ended up being uh, not expelled, but um, suspended for a week or so along with another student because they were supposed to be drawing, coloring LGBTQ sex ed type pages. And one of the kids kind of objected and said, yeah, back in my home country, I think somewhere in Africa, ended up saying this would be um, like illegal, not approved, something like that. And this little girl came to his defense as well. And essentially they ended up being banned from coming to school. The school administrators tried to say that they were speaking essentially the types of hate speech toward the toward people of same sex attraction. They're just trying to say where I come from, this doesn't fly. It's a censorship at its highest height of hypocrisy, as you would say, because they seem to imply in many of these cases that a Christian sexual ethic is biased and unscientific and somehow harmful, and yet the version of sexuality and identity that they're promoting is equally biased, and we as Christians would say far more harmful, and they need no approval from anyone because the legislation has enacted this ability for them to operate unchecked. Now, since 2016, Michael, you were telling me, I actually didn't realize this. I skipped this part that technically no abstinence only education programs are allowed in the state of California. That is correct. I had forgotten because I had known that like you had to have both. You can't have just abstinence education. You have to have the other side as well and how to treat STDs and HIV, which is ironic because their treatment is put a condom on it, right? Their, their safe sex approach is what they're using. But technically, it's not allowed to have abstinence-only education. Yet, just a few years ago, I remember when we still did have abstinence-only education, one of the school districts in San Diego. I'm talking with one of the school administrators. They want to bring me in to present on an abstinence-type program. And they say, okay, well, I would like to know how you would approach speaking to the issue of transgenderism because we have some transgender students. So how would you talk about transgender sex? And I said, excuse me, but I thought I'm, I might be mistaken here. Can you clarify for me? I thought you were an abstinence only school district. So my opinion or my position would be, I would not teach anything or treat those students or single them out in any way in comparison to the other kids. Why would we single them out? They're part of all the other kids. And I would present absence only type of education. Mm -hmm. You'd think that would fly. Yet we've had absence only school districts for years wanting different education mm. that is sexually permissive for people who identify as anything apart from heterosexual. And obviously the concern here is that when you tell children certain things about their bodies that are confusing it influences how they view their bodies <clears throat> and we know that a lot of children who identify as transgender eventually identify as their natal sex their sex from birth so it's 
absolutely unscientific to claim that the only possible way to help these children is to affirm and air quotes their transgender identity because they not only migrated it themselves, but they were not based on current medical understanding born with that transgender identity. It has not been proven in any capacity that that is the case. We're going to get a little bit more in depth into some of the education system surrounding uh, really the school system and even what's happening in Riverside School District where some parents and concerned pastors have been going to meetings. But you just touched on a really key point and that is that children who experience gender identity dysphoria disorder as a child pre-puberty, by the time they go through puberty, end up over 80% of them identifying with their actual biological sex. And that's really important for parents to understand. And it's important to also know that the psychological community has biases of their own. And so we as Catholics have to be free thinking, critical of the leadership of these organizations so that we do not accept hook, line, and sinker all of their information. We want to be absolutely clear about what our church teaches so that we don't just jump on board with an ideology that's in contradiction to our faith. This is why for therapy type options, catholictherapist.com is an incredible resource. That is where you can find Michael Gasparo, as well as if you're in the Los Angeles area, he's also at the breakthroughclinic.com. We need to conform our faith into forms of therapy that find a path to healing. Timory will be right back. Send her a tweet at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where morality and culture meet, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. Don't miss an episode of Trending. Please head over to RadioTrending.com. Subscribe. You can listen on your iPhone, smartphone, whatever you have. We've, we're on Google Play. We are on iHeartRadio. We are even on, what's that listener um, music program? Spotify. Spotify. That's it. iTunes, you name it. And that is Michael Gasparo in studio with us. Howdy. I want to talk, Michael Gaspar. So you mentioned a book that's being read to second graders. This has been going on for years. California is very permissive of the LGBTQ agenda. They have been teaching kindergartners through color workbook pages. In fact, teaching them different types of sex positions, types of sex. I am just reading some of the latest curriculum implemented this year and passed in the legislature. I'm learning really nasty new things about sex role play, among other things, and exploration that I am scandalized about. And kids are being taught this. As an associate marriage and family therapist and in your work with youth, what is the impact of teaching our children this psychologically? Well, I think it's important to note that there is the term in the California Healthy Youth Act 2016, whatever the exact title of that legislature passages um, that says it's supposed to be age appropriate, but it's obvious to you and I that their definition of age appropriate is very different than our definition of age appropriate as Catholics. Mm -hmm. So when we introduce sexualized themes to children under the age of, let's say, 11, 12 years old that are prepubescent, it's quite confusing, A, and B, it's not necessarily accurate information about what our view as Catholics is about sexuality. So there's two sides of it. One, the information's poor, <laughs> it's just bad information, and two, it's not in an age where they're meant to be learning that yet. Mm, it's it over-sexualizing It's over-sexualizing them, and it can cause great confusion, especially if you're 
promoting things about gender ideology, which informs them they can choose their gender and has nothing to do with their body. That is extremely confusing to a six-year-old. It's confusing to me as a 32-year-old man. You can be rest assured that it's confusing to a six-year-old. Well, and I just said it's scandalizing to me. It's scandalous. And this is an issue I have to study and work with. You do as well very Mm -hmm. regularly. It is atrocious that these kids are being exposed to it so soon. And here's the other thing we have to remember. Sometimes kids, and I remember reading some research about this a couple years ago. Kids hear something that's confusing and maybe a little uncomfortable to them. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, instead of going to their parents and asking questions, because usually a young child still kind of recognizes something's off about this. Where are they going? Immediate access to the internet. If you're going to type in these sexual terms, ambiguous terms, what comes up in Pornography. the search bars? Yep. And so we're pornifying then the children, leading to other behavioral issues down the road. And you and I uh, probably would agree on this as well. Children sometimes have the capacity to explore by touching each other inappropriately. And parents find out about this or intervene because they see it happening and explain proper boundaries to young people about how we don't touch private parts of one another and how we keep our hands to ourselves when it, in regard to, you know, personal space and, and special parts of our body. You know, the language you use with your kids might be different than mine, but you get the point. So imagine then instead of like when we were taught as children to keep your hands to yourself or to not touch people, we're teaching them sex acts instead. Right. What's that likely, in my opinion, going to lead to? More exploration in a sexual manner at an age where it's not appropriate and going to be opening children to lasting psychological trauma. Well, and young children are being encouraged to explore their own bodies. Why wouldn't they explore, explore other? I mean, the hospitals are encouraging young children mm-hmm. to do this now. I mean, it's absolutely atrocious. And so the psychological impact is something that can't be ignored. Let's say you're okay and permissive with this sex ed program that's being implemented. Maybe you say, okay, I'm teaching you something else at home. They'll be exposed to it. No, it's too much too soon. And let's not forget too, that when children are exposed to these ideas, they might not always tell you what they're exposed to. So parents, we empower, we encourage you to be aware of what is being taught. Because just like we mentioned in the last segment, you are not always given consent forms. You might get, be given an opt-out flyer to your second grader, and they might not even get it all the way home. You might not even see it. So be the person challenging the curriculum. Know what your kids are being taught. And we really want to encourage parents to take ownership of the education of their children, not necessarily to say be in homeschool or not, but I'm saying be owner own that that you are the primary educator of your child and sometimes that means a specific private school Maybe homeschooling might be the only option at could, times it could be especially depending on where you're at that's michael gasparo you're listening to trending with tim ray earlier you were talking about how parents aren't being sent an opt-in form but an opt-out form we're going to get more into this in the issue of abortion but i want to talk first about the book uh and i was hesitant to bring it up on air because i thought we might be on youtube and i didn't want to get Banned because YouTube has been banning some of my videos, depending on what I bring up about transgenderism. And I didn't want this one to be banned because we need sometimes our content to be accessible. Uh, but Jazz Jennings, who as a young child went through a sex change and now has a book called I Am Jazz. It's her book that's being read to second graders. And Michael mentioned it's confusing, but can you speak to her trauma and what she's experiencing? Yeah, and this is very public information. All of these videos that I've watched recently are on YouTube. 
YouTube, Jazz Jennings has made her life very public. And, and Jazz is a biological male who has slowly begun the process of what they call sex change operations. But that began with prepubescent puberty blockers, followed by cross-sex hormones around the age of puberty, and then an actual sex change operation, which we don't need to get into all the details. But this was documented on TLC, the channel, and through their YouTube videos. And this horrific procedure led to extreme complications surgically, medically, and even psychologically, you can see the difficulty of what this child went through. So you can imagine that this is being portrayed as the standard treatment for transgender gender dysphoria, and yet it's essentially a form of almost like a Frankenstein-like child abuse, where you're just creating a child to look like what you think it should look like. And it's frightening to me, to say the least. And there's language being used now, I'm forgetting the exact word, but like affirmation surgery now. It's not yeah. a sex change, it's sexual affirmation surgery, because it's what you identify as. This is what's so concerning. And, you know, it was interesting. So what happened, I posted this video, parents... You need to listen. Even if you're not a parent, we need as Catholics to oppose this intense um, psychological manipulation of children surrounding sexuality. In fact, what happened is some parents in Murrieta, California, uh, it's in the Riverside uh, School District, Riverside County, ended up speaking up when they realized how intense this summer the sex ed program is continuing to be. In fact, they discovered things such as all types of sexual acts are being taught to the kids that we already knew about the LGBTQ agenda, but they didn't realize how bad they're teaching kids that your sex is one thing, your um, physical attractions, another and your emotional attractions, another and all of these different types of attraction can be different. Wow, that's confusing. I'm confused right now. I mean, it's absolutely stunning that this is considered comprehensive sexual education. And let me just say, too, none of what we're talking about is to dismiss the plight of these young people who might have gender dysphoria right. or might have difficulty with same-sex attraction or identify as part of the LGBTQ community. Our concern is that they're being bolstered through misinformation towards lifestyles that aren't ultimately in their best interests. Now, a person who was influential and trained you in your work that you're doing, Dr. Joseph Nicolosi, in his book, in much of his work, he ends up talking about how shouldn't there be a concern that in fact, and this was back 20 years ago, that schools, public schools, for example, in California, were taking the position that if a child experienced same-sex attraction, they were actually encouraging those children into the same-sex community, which is known for hugely increased risk of sexually transmitted diseases, HIV, AIDS, but also a very... Um, a lifestyle that's a very damaging, we see high suicide rates, among other issues. Is that responsible when these children are still in adolescence to be entering into? Their brain's not fully developed with reason. And let's not forget, too, that these young people are impressionable. Mm. And the church has highlighted that there are, are many factors that may be contributing to why someone has same-sex attraction. So if someone's slightly curious about same-sex possible interactions with another person, and then they're affirmed that that is what they should be doing, they might be more likely to experiment in a way they never would have to begin with. Mm -hmm. And then they've encouraged and fostered those feelings to the point where they're almost untenable at that point, instead of dealing with them in a more comprehensive way. 
earlier on. So the Marietta parents and pastors ended up going to some meetings. They didn't just go to the district meetings. They actually went to the Riverside Board of Education meetings. Now, the Riverside Board brought in Planned Parenthood. They also brought in the ACLU. Now, the ACLU, they brought in lawyers, right? They ended up having a lawyer present, and the lawyer was talking about how to train people who work in the school system to help get a excused absence for a child of any age, they say, any underage minor who wants to have an abortion. So what they were training them how to do is how to do an excused absence so that the parent had no idea. Because if it's unexcused, a parent gets a phone call notified during the day. But if it's excused absence, then the parent's not notified. Normally, it would be a parent creating this excused absence, but it's actually the school administration doing so. And so with this, they're telling the school administration, If a parent calls, you can't tell the parent where the child is. You just need to say something like the child's with an administrator. And they're using legal terminology to try and tell the school staff that if you even contact the parent to say that the child is not on campus, that is illegal. That's a violation. And this is so interesting because in our culture right now, we have such strangely contradictory expectations. You know the movie Unplanned that came out just a few months ago was rated R. So children under the age of 17 could not see it without a parental permission or a parent present. And yet they could somehow get an abortion without parental consent. Isn't that interesting? You can't see what the procedure is, but we can give it to you. And that was even that was gently graphic too. Right. It's it's shocking and I think parents should be aware of this kind of meeting where parent parental rights are being usurped by the government. And you should also know that in these trainings the schools are teaching children to challenge their parents on a sexual topic. So they're actually not just t- encouraging the kids to but they're training them to disagree. So I really want you to go check out the video at ourwatchnow.com. These are concerned parents who are really getting active and trying to spread the word about this rampant sexualization of children. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Michael Gasparro, a marriage and family therapist in Los Angeles, working with the Breakthrough Clinic and also an incredibly well-formed Catholic voice in youth ministry as well, is here with me. We've been talking a lot about abortion, reproductive rights, sex ed programs. One of the things that has come up over the last few months, really the last year, is tit- uh, the Title X funding mm-hmm. has been brought into question for a Planned Parenthood and anywhere that refers for an abortion. And so President Trump's staff in really put this rule in place through Health and Human Services and other is- areas that if you refer for an abortion or perform an abortion, you cannot receive these medical fundings for women and children. And so he pulled that funding. It was taken to court and essentially the Ninth Circuit Court just said that indeed this can be implemented as this continues to be contested in the courts. So what's happened? Planned Parenthood has literally lost $60 million this year. Wow. This is a really big deal. In the meantime, different pro-life clinics that actually do offer mammograms, STD testing, OBGYN services and others are actually having a greater opportunity to get some of that funding for their clinics. That's a beautiful thing. And I think that's a great point to bring up, too, that there are so many other types of clinics available 
to women. I know Los Angeles has a couple of clinics, some that I support, and I am very excited that it exists. Los Angeles Pregnancy Services being one. I believe yes. that's when they go by LAPS. Right. And so that's just one example of these types of organizations that do care about women and crisis pregnancies. And that aspect of our work is so important to highlight in the pro-life movement. And this is game-changing. When a pregnancy resource center can get additional government funding for mm -hmm. their work, they're able to better help, especially the poor communities, which is what Title X's funding is really helping with. And we know that women in poverty are much more likely to seek an abortion. So we want to provide options and hope and encouragement and support to those women, especially. And, you know, this is part of what Dr. Lana Wen was talking about when she was trying to work with Planned Parenthood to ex expand their services. Her as an immigrant really received services from Planned Parenthood that she was so grateful for. And so she wanted to expand them. I see the good in what she was mm, trying to do. I'm not right. saying that what she was doing was good, but she was trying. And I think that she also saw this Title X funding being brought into question and so she of course they weren't going to get rid of abortion services but they wanted to offer more to poor communities but this is what's scary Planned Parenthood's mission was to target poor communities with birth control and abortion mm -hmm. so the other part of the good news that's happening here with the funding is that President Trump about two years ago now close to the beginning of his presidency his staff and this is one of those moments where I'm not going oh President Trump President Trump but the staff has been key in recognizing that sex ed programs that are comprehensive sex ed programs haven't been effective inside the schools. And so he stripped through the administration $1.5 million in funding from Planned Parenthood just this summer that is now going to pro-life clinics such as Obria here in Los Angeles to help them implement sexual education programs that include abstinence. Wow, that's incredible because we want people in the public school system to have access to good information. Because as you mentioned earlier, sometimes homeschooling or private schooling is the best option, but that's not always possible for Catholic people who maybe don't have the time or money or resources. So we want to advocate in the public school system and on behalf of non-Catholics. Everyone, every child deserves good information about sexuality. And the cool thing is you and I both know the beauty of what our church teaches on sexuality. And it's not just a you know drudge fest of just hammering people with rules. Right. And I think that, you know, there's so much for young children, teenagers that they're not getting. For example, right now, the approach surrounding sexually transmitted diseases, STIs, is the sex ed program just kind of says, well, everyone gets them. So here's what you can kind of try to do to help keep yourself safe with condom use, etc. But I remember bumping into a Planned Parenthood advocate at the mall. I didn't bump into them. They were very obtrusively <laughs> everywhere at the mall trying to get us to sign petitions. Mm -hmm. And I was pushing back against their sex ed program. They're saying, well, our sex ed program helps prevent STDs, STIs. And I said, well, what specifically? And she said, well, contraception and condoms. And I said, okay, well, um, ask any doctor, medical doctor or biologist that it's not just the area that the condom covers that offers the possibility of contracting a disease. Kids are now engaging in oral sex because they think that's safer, yet they're now finding HPV on the throat. And, you know, I'm throwing things at her. So I'm like, if you really do think that it's safer, wouldn't you say that this is not the path to go down? She goes, well, I don't know. I don't know. She works high up for Planned Parenthood. She couldn't answer my questions. I said, well, how can you tell me how different types of birth control actually prevent STDs? Because there's no coverage or covering there. Oh, she was just melting with the questions. She had never thought about it. It's not surprising to me, but I do think it's important to highlight 
that when we're talking about comprehensive sex education, we don't, as Catholics, mean shaming children for having sexual feelings. And I think so often those two things are conflated, that abstinence only means your bodies are bad and you're evil and horrible because you like the idea of having sex, or you know the other side is just the happy, we love sex, everything's great, and just wear a condom. And I think we have to reclaim what abstinence only means and present it in a joyful and exciting way to young people about their bodies and what they're capable of and the beauty that that entails. And why aren't we telling these young kids about testimonies from women who became teen moms who mm. still chose to have their child but the challenges i remember one time with middle school kids i took the testimony of one of our girls from the crisis pregnancy center and the girl said you know i wouldn't have it any other way i love my twin daughters um, however i can tell you i didn't end up getting a college education until years later it was harder to balance work and having my children and she starts going through the different thing issues that's a testament to a yes to human life, but also a testament to the challenges when we go off of the track of taking marriage outside of a one man, one man, one woman union. There are consequences to actions, and sometimes maybe somebody's not even responsible for the reason they're pregnant, right? There's all kinds of complex circumstances as to why people are in those positions, but as Catholics, it doesn't change the fundamental reality that life is always a good thing, and it will always be good to protect it. Absolutely. So we're talking about essentially, and Michael, you keep it talking about how Catholics need to lean in here. We have to take back the battle over the bodies of children, because right now, the political atmosphere that is being implemented, at least here in the state of California, and is sweeping the nation, is that they're trying to claim through the school systems, the bodies and ideologies of children surrounding sex. That is what I've noticed as well. I don't work as a school teacher, so I can't tell you specifically the length and breadth of what is happening in that regard. But I can say this, young people have a lot of questions about sexuality. Parents, lean in, because if you aren't talking to your kid about it, they're, I guarantee you hearing it from somewhere else, and that somewhere else might not be in line with the things you want them to know or understand about their bodies and about the gift of sexuality that they have. You know, I have a challenge to anyone listening. I was recently speaking at a conference, and I was speaking to all high school students, but one of the parents came up to me after to ask a question, and it was a question having to do with sexuality and things that are permissive and not permissive with regard to contraception. She had no idea, had always had this gut feeling that something she was doing was not moral but mm. never knew and she never for all these years felt comfortable bringing it up and ask, or asking so she came to me asking this mm -hmm. question about sexual morality and contra uh, kind of a form of contraception and I said you knew I remember just looking at her, you knew you felt something was wrong but it stood out to me because she said I couldn't ask my priest mm. I didn't feel comfortable I want to challenge people to really hear me here Priests are our confessors and they hear every sin imaginable. I'm not telling you to go and scandalize your priest, but if you really do have a question and you're not sure about something, ask a priest, ask someone working within the church, contact Catholic answers because we're putting our souls in jeopardy and that little prick of conscience over years in our consciousness is a sign of God working in our lives, calling us to more. And God wants healing in our lives. I do believe that. And confession that you mentioned, the priests are confessors, is a beautiful tool. As we've mentioned in my work as a therapist, I talk with clients and they'll share things with me 
Catholic clients even, and I'll ask, have you confessed that? And I ask if I know they're Catholic and they want to talk about their spirituality. And sometimes they'll say, no, I've never said that. And I, and I ask, why not? Well, I'm embarrassed or I don't feel comfortable. But when we bring to God through the priest in confession our issues and we really bear our soul before Jesus Christ, you know, in persona Christi there in the priest, <clears throat> we open up ourselves, our souls and our beings to healing through Christ's forgiveness, through his mercy and forgiveness. And as a therapist, we are a part of the healing ministry of the church, in my opinion. So I encourage clients to bring these things, like you're saying, to the priests in confession as a part of their healing journey as well. And when we're talking about healing, we have to remember when we sin, there's not just damage done to maybe the person of our or ourselves in, our, in that sin, but to our thinking. There's damage even done to our conscience that maybe our conscience isn't even kicking in anymore because mm. we've repetitively committed this type of sin. And I think that aspect of this conscience formation is essential to continue to explore. So don't be afraid to confess something, to ask the uncomfortable questions about sexuality. In fact, people say, why does the Catholic Church hate sex so much? No, the Catholic Church has a very high understanding and value for sexual intimacy. And they hold it as a very, not just high standard, but honor it. And this is how new life is created. This is part of the sacrament of matrimony, how you renew your marital vows. There's so much we could get into. Just know that through the priest, through confession, through therapy, and through other means of spiritual and family support, there is healing and help. That is Michael Gasparo. He is an associate marriage and family therapist. I really want you to go and check out the work that he's involved in at thebreakthroughclinic.com, but also an association of a therapy, the Reintegrative Therapy Association worldwide, trying to really help in the healing process that brings truth and healing and authentic hope and joy to people in need. This has been Trending with Timory. To book her to speak or learn more about her guests, visit radiotrending.com. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes. Google Play, or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes.